Amen. So this morning, as I said, as we have been traveling through the book of Ephesians, we now come to one of the, uh, perhaps this is the most well-known section in the Bible on the topic of marriage. This is Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from verses 21 to 33. Now, as you probably know, marriage is something that we care a lot about here at Whitefields. We consider it to be very important, and we, we want to invest a lot into marriage. And the reasons why are what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, and like I said, we're going to be doing things a little bit different. Jeff and I are going to be tag-teaming a little bit, trading off. Um, my wife and I, her name's Rosemary. She's in children's ministry right now. But Rosemary and I, we celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary this week. So we're happy about that. And uh, Jeff's been married roughly the same amount of time. So. Yeah, uh, we celebrated our 25th earlier this summer. Yeah. Uh, which is nice. Uh, and we were really excited about that. But um, I, I, can't, I can't say to you we feel like experts. Uh, at least I don't. Uh, you know, it. Uh, I feel experienced, but I don't. I don't feel like an expert, and I don't. I, I hope we don't come across to you like that this morning. Um, I'm trying to come across like that. <laughs> I'm not Jeff. I'm not. <laughs> A little bit older, maybe, but uh, yeah. Uh, we we want to explore what's in the what's in the text with you. Um, we want in in two guys and two ladies behind us, uh, we want to say to you, this is still uh, awe-inspiring to us. This is, as the text is going to say, it's a mystery. And uh, we don't want to be the expert, but we do want to explore this with you and do real serious uh, honor to the text and also serious honor to what this means for all of us in our marriages. Let me just ask you real quick, can you guys hear Jeff? No, you can't hear Jeff. Can we get that worked on, I'm media about to guys? Swallow this thing, guys. If you would turn it up, thank you. Okay. Yeah. You want to share this one? Just yell at that one. All right. All right. Until you guys get that fixed, we're just going to share here. Um, statistically, 72% of men and 75% of women will be married at some point in their life. Okay. And uh, as we know. Uh, marriages, many marriages don't last, right? Um, the marriage rate hovers around, or sorry, the divorce rate hovers around 50%. And that applies to both Christians and people who are not Christians, which is kind of a sobering statistic. Um, marriage is a big part of our human experience. If, if roughly three quarters of all people will be married at some point in their lives, uh, marriage is a big part of our human existence, a big part of our human experience and culture, and it has been for thousands of years as much as we know as much as we can uh, look back and so more and more recently uh, though in the world we live in the question is being asked increasingly what is the point what is the point of getting married right I mean if if half of all marriages are going to end in divorce and divorce is painful not to mention expensive well then why should I take that enormous risk of binding myself legally to another person right is it just because that's what people have always done? Are we just uh, blindly following a tradition because that's just what people do, right? Um, you know, people would ask that. Should I just get married because that's what culture kind of tells me to do, but I don't really have a reason for it, right? And again, like I said, more and more people are asking the question, what exactly is marriage and what is the point at all? 
right? If you read the news, you can easily find headlines. Here's a few I've got for you. I got one here from the Huffington Post. It says, marriage rate in America drops dramatically. This is a fact. Uh, another one here is from the New York Times. It's an article titled, Marriage, Why Bother? Right? Why bother? And it's an interesting article. I read it. The article goes on to state exactly what most of you would probably assume. That uh, people increasingly these days are asking, why bother getting married? You can have a perfectly respectable life in our culture these days without getting married. You can have all the partnership. You can have all the children. You can have all even the tax benefits sometimes without having to get legally married. And so they would ask the question, well then, what is the point? Why do this? And, and the answer that this article gives is the reason that people get married these days essentially is it's a status symbol. It's a, it, it, it's a sign of a successful personal life. It's a sign that somehow you respect tradition. And, uh, but the question we ask is, is that all that it is? Is it just a status symbol? Is it just a tradition that we all just blindly follow, more or less unnecessarily, right? The title of today's teaching is Marriage is Blank, right? What is it? That's a question. And uh, we got a little video here for you as an intro uh, to give you an idea about the struggle over this question that's going on in our society. I love that Nick put that together um, and I just I just think that is so rich 
because, um, yeah, I'm going to either swallow it or it's just not going to work. So I'm just going to talk louder. Um, but um, it, it's just, I, I think it's so good because it expresses all of the things that we're just, we feel about what marriage is. And there's got to be so much more to it. I, I heard in there, um, marriage is a gift. Marriage is work. Marriage is a gift which you gifted to me with enormous work. Marriage is punishment for shoplifting in some countries. I had never heard that one before. And then the Google search bar, which went by really fast. Um, marriage is a private affair. Marriage is hard. Marriage is like, and I was just thinking of the Valley Girls, you know, like marriage is like, and then just huge question mark was just coming to mind. And then marriage is stupid. I mean, you know, so many things in there uh, just seem to relate to the idea of, is it, as, as Nick was saying earlier, is marriage just something we, that is just postmodern? We're, like we're past this? Is that what we think, that we're just doing this? Uh, guys, are we, are we getting married because that's the only way we can have a life partner and other things, frankly, we're interested in? Is marriage, ladies, just something that we do because of something romantic that we saw in a Disney movie? Is that all we've got in marriage anymore in this culture? Or is there something so much more that God is trying to invite us into and draw us into? It's one or the other. And I, I, want, I hope you'll see in the text this morning that it is something that God is giving to us whether we're jumping in and understanding that and living it or not, it is meant to be something that is from him that is huge. Yeah, the good news for us as Christians is that uh, we don't have to just guess or speculate about what the pur purpose of marriage is, what the, what the point of marriage is, or, or the answer to this question, what is it exactly? The, the word of God tells us what God's design for marriage is, what God's purpose for it is. And the Bible tells us essentially that God is the architect of marriage. He made it up, he designed it, and he has a purpose for it. And here's the answer to the question. We left you with this question, well, here's the answer finally. Here's what the Bible would say, marriage is divine. Marriage is divine, and here's two ways. Marriage is, number one, a divine reflection, and number two, it's a divine resource. So marriage is a divine reflection and a divine resource. And if God is the architect of marriage, then what we have here in Ephesians chapter 5 is the blueprint for marriage. Uh, in Eger, Hungary, my wife and I lived there for uh, many years, and in the center of town there is this very large, uh, very nice looking parking garage. I think I have a picture of it here on the screen. The only thing about this parking garage, completely useless. It's completely empty, it's surrounded by a fence, it's never been used, and here's why. Because the builders put the ramps in backwards, right? So where there's supposed to be a down ramp, they put an up ramp. Completely useless, you can't even get into it. So. What's the problem? Did those people plan that thing wrong? Not at all. They've, they've tried to figure out, well, who made the mistake here? The mistake was made by the builders who did not follow the blueprints correctly, right? They tried to cut some corners and, follow, and they didn't follow the blueprints. So now they have this nice big fancy structure which is completely useless. The problem wasn't with the plans. The problem was with the you know, fulfilling the plans. And, and that's what it comes down to with marriage as well. God has given us great plans, good blueprints to follow for a successful, fulfilling marriage. Our task 
as good builders is to implement and build according to the blueprints. I really love that illustration that Nick gave too because I've been involved in so many construction projects. I was a college administrator for years on a campus that was being developed and we were just building a building seemingly every year and I can't tell you how many times we were in a place where we had the architects and, and the designers, we had said this is what we need in a building and then people get out there to implement it and it was just the silliest thing where these guys were saying well you know I know they said use four by sixes but what we know better we're going to use two by fours and, and then the inspectors would come out and they would say, not only is this stupid, but <laughs> you just can't do this. This is against code. And, you know, just that has, I've learned, happened so many times in construction. It's not just egg air halfway around the world. It happens right here. And I think that that happens so many times in our marriages, too, where God is just saying, you, this is the way to do it. And I hope we can say that to you up front with what we're about to present from scripture, God is not trying to say to us from on high, I'm an architect and I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I've never been outside of this cubicle. I, all I do is just work with paper and pencil all day long, but I'm going to give you some things that you guys need to go do and you, you do the best with it that you can. And then the real people in the field like us say, man, the guy didn't have a clue. You know, I, we're going to do this the way we know it needs to be carried out. And then we screw it up. So I love that illustration. Thanks, Nick. So let's read this text together. If you've got your Bible, please follow along. This is Ephesians chapter 5, and these are the blueprints for marriage, starting in verse 21. Be, sub, or be subject or submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So because we are members of his body, uh, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay, so what, our, our first uh, thing we want you to see in this today is that marriage is a divine reflection. Uh, marriage is divine, and it is a reflection of something that's already going on within God. That's the idea of, of reflection. It's a reflection of God and his relationship with his people. It's a reflection of God himself and a reflection of God's relationship with his people, the church. Two different parts of that. Um, if you look at our text today in, in verses 22 and 23, again, you might be inclined to see those as moral directives or orders to women first 
and then to men on how to behave your marriage. And when the times are hard in your marriage, you might, again, you might just be inclined to think, well, God just doesn't get it. I mean, he doesn't understand how difficult this is. And again, on the contrary, God does get it. He's saying, this is a reflection of how we are within God. Remember, God, Trinity, plural, how we are within ourselves, and it's a reflection of how we are with you. So two halves of that, two words in this. First of all, relationship, relationship. Marriage is a reflection of a relationship and a divine relationship. God says in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then it says male and female, he created them. So we bear already his divine imprint. We're made to be like God. We're made to be like God. We long for community. We desire love. And all of these things are already written on our hearts. Just in the same way that God made us to be like himself, we have these things, community, love, written on our hearts because we're made in the image of God and this is who God is. Um, Marriage is, is also a loving relationship, and it's a way that we can reflect who God is and what he's like. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And then Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So. Paul continues in Philippians 2 to explain that this is how persons of God love one another within the Trinity. It's interesting, he kind of, if you go back and look at Philippians 2 maybe later today, he's on this role in that context and then he says, wait a minute, I want you to understand this is how we are within the Trinity. This is what we do. This is how we are for ourselves. We prefer one another, we defer to one another. And then you can see back in, if you go and look at where we came from in this text, so we started in verse 22 today, go back and look at verse 21 where this ended before he jumps. And he's, the last phrase of verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then he jumps in to talk about marriage. Understand, he didn't just say, now we've been talking about a lot of holy things, pause, let's put that on hold, now let's get earthly and let's, get, let, let's start giving you moral mandates on marriage. No, he's saying, something, submit to one another in the fear of God. In other words, I want you to submit in all of your loving relationships, work, family, in the church, submit to one another in the fear of God. In other words, because God is this way and, and as you're thinking about God. And now let's, as an example, let's talk about marriage. That's what he's trying to do, okay? So first of all, it reflects a relationship of the way God is within the Trinity. When we're married, we become one. Remember those, remember those words? Uh, just as God is one within the, the plurality of himself. God was not alone when he took on the act of creation, so love was not something that came about later. Have you ever considered that? If God had been just by himself alone, then 
in making other creatures, making the world, making people in his own image, then that would have been the first time that love would have come about, right? But he's saying, no, I am love. Remember those words in scripture? God is love. And God is love because he was plurality already loving himself. And he's inviting us in, not as the clueless architect set apart, but he's inviting us in to be like himself. What I want you to hear here is, what I want, I hope you'll see in the, in the context of scripture is, he gets it. He really gets it. He's lived it farther than you and I ever have already. Our marriages, sometimes as much of a struggle as they can be, are a reflection of things that he's already doing. He's already being at a much bigger level. Marriage is also about the relationship God has with us. It's not just about his relationship within himself, and he's inviting us to be that within our marriage as we become one, but he's saying, this is the way we are as Trinity towards you, and this is the way you ought to be towards each other too. I like what Nick wrote in our notes. Marriage is a gospel reenactment. I thought that was a really cool phrase as we were working on this together. Marriage is a gospel reenactment, and that's really what we're trying to say. As God loved mankind, as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we are to give ourselves to each other in marriage in the same way. Marriage is an invitation from God for us to love one another as God has loved us. So I'd like for you to stop for just a moment and think of all the ways that God has loved and provided for us as his people. Think about God the Father. Think about all the personalities of God, God the Father. What it means for the Father to look down upon creation and see that it's fallen and what must have been on his heart. You fathers, think about that. Think about God the Son, um, the Messiah, who is completely allegiant to the Father, who has deferred to the Father as being the superior in that relationship. But he said that, he said, I, I only came here to do what the Father told me to say. He is completely allegiant to the Father. And then think, well, the Father has this great passion for these people, and I can do something about that. I'm gonna go die for these people. I'm gonna lay down my life for these people. And you know, think of how many times in a marriage women do that, moms do that. Uh, think about what the Holy Spirit uh, does in living within us, making intercession on our behalf all the time. Think about all these aspects of who God is toward us as the church, and he's inviting us to do the same thing within our marriages and within our families. That, that, just, that thought overwhelms me sometimes. I want you to see this uh, theme of marriage as gospel reenactment very clearly in our text today. Look at Ephesians 5.31 where it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Then he goes on to say, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. <laughs> I, do, don't you, if you're like me, don't you sometimes miss that? He's laying out something, and I think we're, because we tend to be people or we're self-absorbed, we tend to stop there and say, 
yeah, he's talking about me. And then he's saying, no, no, no. What I'm really trying to get you to understand is I'm talking about us. I'm talking about God. He's saying I'm really talking about who God is. Really, this whole passage is about God before it's about us. Have you ever seen that before? That's, that's so rich in this passage. Do you see what um, Paul is saying here? Uh, he's saying that Christ left the Father to pursue his bride and join with her inseparably in a spiritual union. Leaving and cleaving was first done by God. That's amazing. It's not just something we do. That's where Christ said, I, I left the Trinity to come and join spiritually with the church. And, and the relationship is forever changed in the Trinity and within the church now because of who Christ is. Within the broader family, within your broader family, isn't your um, extended family changed because of your marriage you married people? Isn't it? it? That's not something you do alone before God. God did that first. Have you ever considered that? What a powerful thought. And then he says, it, it, even this is a mystery, which means even as we live it, he's giving us an opportunity in marriage, guys, to understand himself more. But he says, you know what? Even still, it's a mystery. You're never, you're never going to understand how deep this is for us in the Trinity. But, you know, unless we reveal it to you over time, which I think married people can say after years and years of experience, I'm starting to get more of God now. I'm starting to get what he does, who he is, what he struggles with as we struggle in marriage, as we struggle in family, as we raise up our kids. I wonder if God ever feels that way. Oh, yeah, he's saying right here, I, yeah, exactly. You're not the ones who came up with this. Marriage is not passe. Marriage is not so yesterday, yesteryear, yesterminute, you know. We, we've been doing this all along, and we're inviting you in to this so that you can understand us, so that you can love each other and grow up some more in Christ, which is some of the things Nick's going to talk to us about in just a minute. So again, the whole point of this section is that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Marriage is a reflection of the divine love of God, and it's an opportunity for us to practice and experience the love God has for us as the church. I just think that's so powerful to see. Before we start looking at what God is telling us, we need to be like within our, our marriages. I, I just want, I hope you'll see that because when, sometimes when we start looking at, now God's saying, hey, wives, you need to do this. Husbands, you need to do this. I don't know about you, but that's sometimes where we start to brace, isn't it? And you might even start to brace against us or against us as the messenger. Remember, don't kill the messenger in a minute. Because God is saying, we already do this. And I wouldn't be asking you to do this if we didn't do it ourselves. So be careful. I want to warn us as people, warn Jeff here too. Be careful about, about bracing yourself against God on these things that he's asking us to do. Because he already does this in spades, is what he's trying to say. Okay. Uh, the last word here is, uh, we've already said relationship. Relationship within God and relationship with God with his people. Last word quickly is deference. Uh, deference. Basically, the blueprint for marriage is that we're given here is that the wife grants leadership in the marriage to her husband 
and the husband should take up Jesus' model of leadership, which is to die for the other person rather than abuse them, exploit them, frustrate them. That's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to present. And this is a mutual deference. This is not just one party deferring or one party being asked to respect. I know that there's some words here that are being used and targeted that we're going to look at towards men and women. But I guess what we want to try to present to you overall, the overall theme here, is it's a mutual deference. Just like the parties of the Trinity trying to show mutual deference to one another. And the Philippians 2 passage, when you go back and study that later, guys, is basically Paul saying, you know, the, the, the Trinity has grown up, the parts of God have grown up and they've matured enough to understand this is the best thing that we could do. We're wise enough, we're smart enough to know. We need to defer to each other or this whole thing just isn't gonna work. We all have our different roles. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have different roles within marriage. We have husband, we have wife. And what he's trying to say to us is, the things that I'm about to ask you to do are, a, are, are the same, it's in a modeling way of the way the parts of the Trinity defer to one another. That's what he's asking us to do. So this word submit, I don't know how many of you, uh, this is like your favorite word in the dictionary, you know, you get like a, one of those like license plates that says submit. Like, I heart submission, you know what I mean? Uh, probably not a lot of you, but part of the reason for that, especially in the context of marriage here, part of the reason why people are wary of this idea of submission, this command for wives to uh, submit to their husbands, is because it has been used and abused uh, for wrong things, right? It's been used as excuses for um, men to mistreat, even abuse, or, or exploit their wives. And that is certainly not what is uh, being encouraged in this section, right? We started out this section uh, reading today in verse 21, of course, which says, submit to one another in the love of Christ. Now that verse, if you look at the how it's broken up in our Bibles, it seems like it belongs to the section before it, right? Which is about what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you will submit to one another. Other, right in all your relationships but the thing you got to know here is that this is Paul you read Paul's letters you find out that he kind of rambles right he has these long running thoughts and he just free flowing just goes from one thing to the next and that's what's going on here it's not like Jeff said where it's like he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and he says all right enough about that let's talk about marriage no he's saying if you're filled with the Holy Spirit it's going to affect every part of your life and here's how it's going to affect marriage right and, uh, and this whole book of Ephesians, what's it about? See it in context. It's about what God has done for us in Christ and how that should affect the nitty-gritty of our everyday lives. And there's nothing more nitty-gritty in every day for many of us than our marriage and our marriage life. So I think the best thing we can do is define what submission means. What does that word mean, right? Let's take a little bit of the, I don't know, the teeth out of it, right? Here's what submission is. Submission is laying down your rights for the sake of another person. Laying down your rights for the sake of another person. That's something you do in love, right? So when you look at it this way, what you find is that this section is not just telling wives to lay down their rights for the sake of their husbands, but it's telling husbands to do the exact same thing. Both people are being called to mutual submission, but it takes different forms, right? The wife is asked to do it by deferring uh, leadership in the marriage to her husband, and the husband is asked to do it by serving his wife and making her a greater priority in his life than even he is himself. And that's important because, again, this is not about subjugating we women at all. It's about mutual deference to one another out of love. 
You know, by God's design, men and women are called to do it in two different ways. And as usual, what you'll notice in the Bible, the majority of responsibility is thrown on the man. And I believe that's how it should be because that's what it means to be a leader. I hope you men know that. hope anybody who's in a leadership position knows that. To be a leader is not to sit back and put your feet up and boss your wife around while you drink beer and watch football. To be a leader is to bear the brunt of the weight. It is to go first and it is to do more. That's what leadership is all about. So again, this is a divine reflection. That's what we've been talking about because the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're God they're equal, but yet they have different roles. And even within that, Jesus submits to the Father. And the Spirit glorifies the Son. And the Spirit glorifies the Father. There's this submission. There's not self-seeking. You don't see any person of the Trinity seeking their own, right? They're deferring to one another out of love. So men are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that is definitely not a call to domineer over your wife. It is a call to serve your wife men. It's a call to give everything you are of, to her, to give her your entire life. That's the way that you live out this purpose of marriage, which is divine reflection. You reflect Jesus when you act like Jesus to your wife. Give yourself for her. Lay down everything for her. You're reflecting him. Verse 23 here is, is huge on this whole idea that Nick's talking about. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So I wanted to focus for just a second on that word savior. Um, it's saying, men, guys, that in the same way that Christ saved the church, the man is supposed to be using his strength and his power and his might in such a loving way that you become the savior of your family. So, you know, what I, I, I was saying to Nick as we were planning all this, in the different marriage counseling scenarios that Sylvia and I have done over the years, you know, oftentimes what you're seeing is you're just seeing the stalemate. And of course, you're seeing people doing this, right? You know, that's, that's generally what you have. Some, something's like money is in there or, you know, anything, children, but it's this. It's well if she and if it, well if he. And, you know, and yet what I've always found myself saying is, guys, someone's got to step out of this thing and save this thing. And there's no, there's no external judge that's going to walk in and say, okay, you guys, and even a counselor doesn't live with you and is going to say, now, okay, you shouldn't have said that because I'm, I'm like a fly on the wall here and you should, you know, no one gets to do that, right? Someone's got to step outside of, of this and say, I'm going to save this thing. And this is the picture that's being presented. Someone's got to say, I'm going to jump in and save this thing, just like Christ saved mankind. Someone's got to save these kids. <laughs> Someone's got to save this. And so what I oftentimes just simply wind up saying to the guy is, look, if it may not seem fair, but I think God is saying, look, you bleed first. And if it's not going to be the guy, ladies, I have to say there too, one book we read says, whoever the stronger party is in this needs to go first. So where we're giving these, where we're receiving these directions, 
And I, th and I know we're going to come to some of this, but wisdom, I, I think we all know. Um, someone's got to save it, but someone's got to go first. And it ought to be the one who's stronger. Are you weaker or are you stronger? So let's move on to our next point. Our next point is this. The first one was this. The marriage is a divine reflection. We've been talking about that, but here's another one that marriage is. It is a divine resource. Marriage is something that God has given us as a gift. Yeah, it's a gift that you've gifted someone with, a, with enormous work, but it's a gift, right? And it actually is intended to be a blessing. In Genesis chapter 2, we read about how God created man. And it says that God formed Adam out of the dust and he breathed life into him. And after he created them, there, created Adam though, there's this interesting phrase. God looks at him, he's just like walking around figuring out what to do in this new world. And God says, you know what? It is not good that man should be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. In other words, God looked at this guy and said, that guy needs some help. That's pretty much what happened when God created me too. He looked down and he said, that guy needs some help. He's going to starve to death, and he's going to wear clothes that don't match, and his life is going to be terrible. And so I need to find a helper who can help that guy out because he needs it. Guys, that's what your wife is for you. Ladies, same thing. You compliment each other. And so here in Genesis 2, God puts Adam into this deep sleep, and he removes one of his ribs and uses that rib to create his partner, Eve, right? Now what's interesting about this is this. When God creates Adam, what does he do? He just takes some mud, makes some silly putty, breathes life into it. Boom, there's Adam, right? So why does he need to remove a rib from Adam in order to make Eve? He doesn't, right? He could just do the same thing. Take some dirt, breathe into it. Boom, there's Eve. Why does he take it from Adam? I believe that it's symbolic, and I'll tell you why. Because from that point on, Adam was missing something. He was missing something. And the only place it could be found was in her, in the woman, in Eve. Neither of them, neither of them would be totally complete until they came together and were joined as one again. Adam had a lot of strengths, but he was missing something, right? Same was true of Eve. You see, we were created in such a way that we are incomplete on our own. And marriage is not the only way that we are provided with companionship that we need, but it is a very important way. So marriage is a divine resource. We see here it has many purposes. Companionship, complementarianism, right? It, it is a foundation for family, for kids. It's a place for expression of intimacy. But along with those things, here's another great way that marriage is a resource for us. And that is for your sanctification. Marriage is a resource for your sanctification. And we've been talking a lot about ideal marriage. That's pretty much Jeff's section, right? Here's what marriage looks like. How's God set it out, right? Here's the blueprints. But the fact is that you and me live in a place called planet Earth where things don't work ideally right where we are flawed people and we who are married we're all married to flawed people and what that means is that you are going to mess up and hurt your spouse and your spouse is going to mess up and hurt you and it's going to be hard at times but this whole idea of committing yourself to a flawed imperfect person and making a covenant with them that you will love them and be faithful to them and stick with them through thick and thin that's a resource that God uses in your life for what purpose to make you more like him because guess what that's exactly what he does too right 
He, he ties himself, binds himself in covenant to flawed people and says, I will love you. I will be faithful to you. I will forgive you through thick and thin. See, sanctification is this process through which God takes us from where we are and he makes us more like Jesus. Jesus was the walking, living personification of everything that is good and right and beautiful. And that is what God wants for you. He wants to take you from where you are and he wants to change you and form you. And, and the good things that are in you elevate those because they reflect him. But get rid of the things that don't need to be there and leave you more like Jesus. God uses things which he places in your life to form you into who he wants you to become. When I was single, I lived in Hungary and I, I used to live with this guy and he was a potter. Now this guy has a great business because his overhead is literally dirt and water, right? That's all. It's like dirt and water. He doesn't even have to electricity. He pumps this thing with his foot. So every day this guy, you know, would bring home his stuff and he would go in his room and he would take dirt add water to it, he'd have mud, and he would take this lump of mud and he'd start spinning it on his wheel and start forming it, and he would make things every day out of literally mud and that he would sell for hundreds of dollars, right? Things that were precious, things that were valuable, things that were, had a great purpose and usefulness. And that is the picture that we get in the Bible of what God does with us. He takes us as raw lumps of mud and he begins to shape us and he begins to form us and he has a vision for what we will become, something precious, something useful. But you know how he does it? You know how that potter molds that lump of mud into something precious? He does it by spinning it in circles and applying pressure, right? How many of you say, hey, you just described my life. That's what I do every day. I'm just spinning in circles all the time, and I'm just under constant pressure. Well, guess what? That is how God shapes you. That is how he forms you. You know, he spins you in circles and applies pressure. And that's what marriage is. Marriage is a tool in that process. One book I read about marriage, it has this tagline, which I think is very catching. And it says this, what if God designed marriage to make us more holy, to make us holy more than he did to make us happy? I'll say that again. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? You see, marriage isn't easy. I don't need to surprise you with that news, right? You're like, oh yeah, and is water wet? Yeah, it is. So marriage is not always easy. Sometimes it's a lot of work. Sometimes you feel super happy in your marriage, but sometimes you don't, right? And uh, sometimes you get hurt in marriage. So the question is, why continue if it's hard? This is what people in our society are asking all the time. Why continue when it's hard, when it's painful? Why not just bail out? Why not just start over with somebody new? Why, why not just bail out when you're not feeling fulfilled or happy in your marriage? Well, here's why. Two reasons. Marriage is a divine reflection and it's a divine resource. It's a tool in your life to form you and make you more like Jesus. It's an opportunity in your life every day to love like God loves, to forgive like God forgives, to serve like God served you, and to be faithful like God is faithful to you. See, here's the irony about marriage that many people miss. They think that marriage is all about love and happiness, and I'm here to tell you it is but in maybe a different way than some people think. Marriage is about love. It's about you placing your love upon that person who you've decided to tie your life to. It's about you loving them even when they don't deserve it, even when they absolutely don't deserve it, right? It, because that's how God has loved you. 
as a flawed individual, right? Marriage is about happiness. You know why? Because as, you beco- as you're on that potter's wheel, you become more like Jesus, and the more you become like Jesus, the happier you will be. So marriage is all about love and happiness. I will tell you this. I am happily married. In fact, I have to tell you this because if word gets back to my wife that I didn't say that, I'm not going to be happily married anymore. But I, not only do I have to tell you that, but it's true. But I have to tell you this. Nine years, not a great long time. I know that some of you have been married a lot longer than that. But it hasn't always been easy. Uh, it, there have been times in our marriage where they were hard. And it wasn't just a couple of days. There have been times where it was a season right? It was an extended period of time where it wasn't easy. But I'll tell you this, as I've been married, it's been a process of growing through those hard times, learning to forgive, learning to love my wife, even when nothing inside of me wants to do that, right? Uh, I've grown through having to humble myself and lay down my pride and ask for forgiveness when I've been wrong or even when I don't think I've been wrong, but my wife certainly does, right? It's been a growing process. It's been a means for my sanctification. It hasn't always been easy, but it's definitely been worth it and I am happy. So marriage is a divine resource. It's something which God has designed to make us more like him, right? And, and it says here that men are called to take an active role. This is your call, men. Take an active role in shepherding your wife's heart and ministering to them. Remember, it's a, it's a means for sanctification, but it's, men, it's calling you to take an active role in that. So men, let me ask you a question. As a result of being married to you, is your wife becoming more like Christ? Think about that. Some of you, your wives might say, yes, as a matter of fact, being married to you is a lot like becoming like Jesus because every day I feel like I'm being crucified, right? (laughs) She say, yeah, actually it does remind me a lot of becoming like Jesus. It feels like a slow, painful death and I feel like God has forsaken me, right? (laughs) Right? I think that's what they meant. (laughs) No, yeah. But that's not the way that we want you to make your wife like Jesus. Okay, man? That's not the way to do it, right? Uh, Men, you're called to take the lead in your family spiritually. And what that means is that your marriage should be a way in which your wife, it should be, the result of your marriage should be that your wife grows closer to Jesus through your love for her and your care for her. In verses 25 and 26, we read this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The image here is that the husband is called to shepherd the the wife's heart, right? He's called to wash her with the water of the word. Men, I'm going to get real practical. Read the Bible with your wives, right? Read the Bible with your wives. Bring her to church. Don't be the guy whose wife is dragging him to church. You be the one who says, get out of bed, honey. It's Sunday. Grab your Bible. We're going to worship the Lord and study the word. You need it. I need it. We need it. Men, you're called to take the lead in this. You're called to take the lead in making your wife more beautiful on the inside by bringing her to the Word of God, by giving it to her, by washing her mind and her heart with the pure water of God's Word. So another question for you men. How are you doing shepherding your wife's heart? What kind of words are you pouring onto her? 
Are they the pure water of God's word or are they words of condemnation and judgment? We're going to wrap up with this. In verse 32, we read, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 33, we read uh, this, and this is really a summation. It's a summary of what this whole section is about. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Men, love your wives. Ladies, respect your husband. Why these two things? Why specifically these two things? I think it's because it's a great way of just summarizing everything that's been said here. So if there's anything you're, you're trying to hold on to, husbands and wives, as you take home, uh, I think it's so great that at the end of all this, God is basically saying, you know, now I'm talking about Christ in the, ch- in the church, but nevertheless, l- let's, let's just get back to what you're dealing with. It's like he's giving us a gift. I'm trying to remind you of the Trinity. I'm trying to remind you of these big ethereal things as a vision. But I digress. Let, let's just get back to this. If you can remember nothing else, it seems that he's saying in the last verse, let's boil it down to this. Love and respect. Women are looking for love, guys. If there's nothing that you can be known for, be known for loving your wives. And ladies, if, if you can be known for nothing else, um, be known for respecting your, your husbands. One of the things that's thrown me about that is I think sometimes, ladies, you're surprised to find that most studies reveal when you go and ask guys, would you rather be loved or respected, guys hands down will say, I, respect me, please just respect me and if you got to throw out love forget love I'll take respect and I and I sense for you ladies that that women's jaws are just on the floor over that at times just thinking you're kidding they'd rather have respect than than love that doesn't even compute and for a guy they're the same thing I I think a lot of guys are probably thinking I am I'm sorry I'm confused what's <laughs> what, what love and respect they're the same thing we we perceive them as the same um, and I think so many times ladies are offering kindness and gentleness and in a loving way they're doing the things men that we want that they want us to do for them that we don't do so often and women um, sometimes are just coming across in a way to us that uh, just doesn't feel respectful. Um, and again, guys, uh, the, the, the same studies have shown that women are much more interested in feeling security and that they're, they're cherished and that they're respected. And part of that goes back to some things Nick was saying finally when he was speaking a moment ago about being a spiritual leader. It has never ceased to amaze me how much women Christian or not, are looking for spiritual leaders out of men. Guys, don't, don't skip that. They, they perceive that as a, a huge part of love, as being a spiritual leader in the home. Because it, it somehow goes to being cherished and valued and cared for. Um, so what happens in our marriages on these words of love and respect, as we're trying to wrap this up, is we can get into cycles. We can get into a vicious cycle where one doesn't feel respected and so therefore they, they don't uh, offer love and then because there's no love being offered there's no respect and it's a spiral that just goes downhill we pick up bad momentum 
or we can, we can see kind of again as the Trinity is doing, well, I see that they're deferring, I see that they're giving, I see that there's love being offered, the woman can say, and so therefore it makes me want to respect him. And the guy can say, I, man, I'm just seeing that respect just overflowing and it just makes me want to pour out more love to my wife and it just builds this cycle. It's never ceased to amaze me how relationships are always, always changing. Have you noticed that? Um, years ago, I remember there was a quick illustration. There was, there was an old couple in our church and the husband passed away. And there was another old couple in our church and the wife passed away. And the, the widow and the widower of those two uh, marriages started hanging out and just being friends. And all of a sudden my mom said, then um, these people are, they, these were ancient people. <laughs> and they, you know, they'd been married for 35, 40 years. They were old folks. And my mom said, I think these guys are gonna get married. And my dad and I said, there's no way. You know, we'd known these, these other couples for so long. And my mom said, relationships are always changing and theirs is getting too close. Sure enough, two weeks later, they eloped. And there's, you know, just, it, it just blew us away. Relationships are always changing and there's always incredible momentum on these cycles is the point. You're either loving and respecting more and it's just building, haven't you noticed? Or there's love and respect that's not there and it's just spiraling down and it's getting worse and worse. And like a perfect storm, sometimes we can get to this place where we just say, I, I just don't, I, forget it. And that's what the enemy is there for. He's trying to infuse so much of this that we just say, I just don't see this anymore. I'm just not gonna do it. Or the, Christ is trying to say to us, I want, I want to hold up this model for you guys and I want you to try and love and be like us and understand that this comes from us. And if you will sacrifice and offer what the other person needs, whether they seem to deserve it or not, then this can really grow and it can change. May I also say at a, at a risk of, of having maybe things thrown at me, sometimes I, we've heard, I'm gonna put, involve Nick in this for safety. Sometimes we've, we've heard, um, especially ladies will say, um, you know, I'd respect him, but he doesn't deserve it. And I'm gonna hold out until he deserves respect before I give it. It's almost like love in our culture, and I wanna throw this on culture. But love in our culture seems to be expected. We live in a culture now, we've talked, especially in men's ministry before, about where men are expected to be nice. So every, and nice can be equated to love too, kindness. So we live in a culture where nice is expected, but respect is earned. So if that, ladies, if that is something that you ch get challenged over, where love is expected, but when he starts to love me then, then I, he'll be deserving of respect. That's not what the scriptures say, are saying here. And I, we wouldn't be doing rightly by the word to, to let that go. Um, love and respect are, are expected from both parties. And guys, uh, you know, I, we're not just gonna just uh, leave that alone. Uh, love must be offered to women no matter what. And let me just finally say there too, it needs to be offered, love needs to be offered to, to women in the way that it will be meaningful to them. 
and respect needs to be offered to men in ways that will be meaningful to them. It's not good enough for both parties to just say, well, I'm giving it to you my way. We've got to communicate, and I think that that comes back to communication too, at least in my experience it does. But sometimes we can be, you know, sometimes I feel like I am offering love as much as I know how to offer it. But what I need to do more, I need to do more is go back and say, where is it not being perceived rightly, received rightly as love? And maybe our wives could do the same. So I'm just going to wrap this up. We're, we're uh, just about done, but let me remind you of some of the things we've been talking about. Um, before I do that, let me just uh, plug this thing that we're doing. It's not in your bulletins yet, but at the beginning of October, we're going to be starting up a marriage ministry. And we're going to be doing it in a pretty creative way, so keep your eye out for that. We're going to be doing a kind of date night thing. So keep your eye out for that in the bulletin in, in weeks to come. But here, here's what's going on. What is marriage? That's the question we started with. Here's the answer. Marriage is divine. It is a divine reflection. It is a way that we get to reenact the gospel for that other person and love them in the way that God has loved us in Christ. And it's a divine resource. It is God's means in our lives for changing our hearts and making us more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the happier we will be. So men, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. These are the blueprints for marriage the way it was meant to be. Ladies, respect your husbands. My prayer for all of us here today is that we would not just have marriages that survive, right? We do want marriages to survive, but we also want them to thrive. We want more than just survival. We want to thrive. We want to do well. I believe that if we follow these blueprints, we will thrive. This is great hope for marriages. And I pray that your marriages would be blessed. I pray that it would be full of joy, all of the joy that God designed marriage to be all about. And, and I believe that, and, and I pray that it would you would just experience marriage to its fullest, that it would be for you a divine representation of God and that it would be a resource in your life and a blessing to you that changes you, that helps you grow, and that it fulfills many of your needs and desires. So if you would uh, please stand, I'm gonna have Jeff close us out in prayer. So as you're standing, just as our model for this comes from God, so also our strength for this comes from God. You're not alone as you're trying to do this, men and women, wives and husbands. Let's ask Christ to bless us in this effort. Father, we do come before you and thank you for the opportunity to be like you in marriage, to have love and respect for each other, deference for each other, just as you have done within yourself and as you have done for us. Father, we ask we beg that you would bless us with your strength, your love, your power to carry this out. And as we do, Father, as we act like you, as we become like you, we know you will bless us. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for your blessing upon our marriages. Strengthen each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.